0: It will never fade, it will never falter, it will never lose its relevance, It will never crumble under the pressure of changing cultures and changing times. But your word is settled forever. and We worship you today because you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We thank you today, Lord Jesus, because you paid the price for us. We celebrate your resurrection today. The fact that you conquered death, you conquered hell, And you conquered the grave. There's nothing left to be conquered. You finished it all. And we give you thanksgiving for that. And we give you praise for that, Lord Jesus. And when we look, Lord, God backward to a bleeding Christ on a wooden cross, let our response be, if he loved the world this much, Lord, help me love a lost and dying world. If he gave this much because he loved people, Let me love people enough and the heartbeat and the cause of Christ enough to give my life. In the name of Jesus, we ask let your will be done today in Jesus' name. Why don't you lift your hands right now? I just feel the presence of the Lord here. I feel like Jesus wants to minister to us. I feel like there are those that are discouraged that he wants to encourage. And there are those that are misguided that he wants to shine the light of his truth on his word so that you can see the way, so that you can find direction hallelujah in your life so that you can rearrange your priorities to put Christ on the throne of your life Jesus, I pray you'd let this happen today in this beautiful Easter celebration the celebration of your resurrection Lord God, let your will be done hallelujah in the name of Jesus I want you to reach over, take the hand of your neighbor, I want you to pray for him right now, if you know their name I want you to call their name and say Lord help my brother, and my sister hear the Word and receive the word today. And then I want you to pray for yourself as well. Say, Lord, help me open my heart, Lord Jesus, to receive. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, give me a heart to hear, Lord, give me ears to hear today, Lord Jesus. Oh God, I pray for a few moments and you'd enable me to stop the barrage of things that are entertaining my mind, and the barrage of things that I'm concerned and stressed about the things that are important, the things that mean so much to me, Lord God. And for a few moments, let me pause, Lord Jesus, in the gravity of eternity and recognize the things that are important in life, Lord Jesus. Recognize, Lord God, the things that were important to you and let them get a hold of our spirits today on this Easter Sunday. I pray in the name of Jesus. Come on, that's it. Just call their name right now. Say, Jesus, open his heart. Jesus, open her heart. Oh God, I pray in the name of the Lord that you would prepare their heart right now to receive the word of the lord let it bring about a transformation and a change in jesus name more than just an emotional feeling more lord jesus in just a few moments of feeling the goosebumps that accompany the uh uh, the the, uh, moving of your presence and your spirit lord god let something change in our hearts and in our minds lord god as we consider you today in the name of jesus let's praise him one more time if you want to clap your hands you can let's praise him together God bless you and you may be seated. Each of the four Gospels give an account of that awesome Sunday morning. You could read from each of them, but I'm going to read to you for a moment from Luke's account of the resurrection. It says, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living? among the dead. He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, And Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles, and their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Then arose Peter, and ran unto the sepulcher, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, and departed. Wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. It was early in the morning, right before the sun was to rise. And the ladies to whom Jesus had meant so much, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, these other ladies that are mentioned here, went to the tomb as was the custom, bringing spices and ointment to care for the body of Jesus. As they approach the tomb, that beautiful spring morning, birds chirping, fragrant air. As they got close, they begin to mention to one another, how are we going to get to the body of our Lord, of the great teacher? And master? Who's going to remove the stone for us? We've heard that there are soldiers guarding the tomb are they going to let us in if so will they be the ones that are willing to move aside this great stone that's in the way but as they approached they were astounded to discover that the stone that they had seen with their own eyes resting sealed upon the tomb of Jesus Christ had been removed and there was no stone there and with wonder and curiosity and shock they entered into the tomb to discover that the body of Jesus was not there. Wonder what they thought at first. Who took him? Who stole the body of our Lord? Maybe one of them remembered that Jesus had prophesied that he would rise again. While they were trying to figure out and frantically discover what had happened, they went running, prepared to run from the tomb, and there they were approached by men in white apparel saying, don't you remember Jesus promised that he would be crucified, but that he would rise again the third day. And then they all remembered the words of Jesus Christ. And with joy and exaltation, they no doubt shrieked and screamed with joy amongst each other. He's alive. These angels gave us the promise. Jesus is alive. And they left from that place to go and to declare to the disciples and the other followers of Jesus that Jesus was, in fact, alive. When They arrived. The apostles at first thought that they were speaking idle tales. But these women have lost their mind. These women have lost touch with reality. They're just talking crazy. But Peter ran unto the sepulcher. When he got there, he too discerned that the stone was rolled away. He stooped down and saw the linen clothes that Jesus was wrapped in. He found that the clothes were there, but the body of Jesus was not there. So Peter departed, pondering these things in his heart. This event that we celebrate this morning, this afternoon, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was an awesome, unbelievable event that took place never before had a man die and been able to raise himself from the dead. The thing about the resurrection that's very interesting is not just the fact that the tomb spilled open and that Jesus walked forth with power over death. But the thing that's fascinating is the, are the events that were set in motion by the resurrection itself. The report of these ladies and then the Apostle Peter and others that had gone to see the sight for themselves spread like wildfire among those that uh, were followers of Jesus Christ. Some had been paid by the priests to declare that uh, the disciples had come and stolen his body in the night. But the disciples contended to many people that no, they never stole the body. That Jesus' body came out of its own accord. And then Jesus himself showed himself to the ladies and to the disciples and the apostles. And in one, at one point, he was seen by over 500 people in one setting, he entered into their midst and began to converse with them. One point, the account of Thomas, he said, Put your hands into the nail prints in my hands. Feel for yourself the hole in my side that was left by the spear that was thrust into me. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 that he was seen of them by many infallible proofs. He showed himself to them so that there would be no question in their hearts that Jesus did arise from the grave. See, it's so important uh, that Jesus stayed around for a while after his resurrection. See, he did all his work. Those three days when he died, he was buried and he rose again. He gave us the pattern for the gospel. He conquered death, hell, and the grave and led captivity captive. However, when he finished his job that he was sent to the earth to do, he hung around, the Bible says, for 40 days. Why would he stay around for 40 days after the job was done? See, when I hire a plumber to come fix a stopped-up drain in my house, I expect him to come. I expect him to unstop the drain. I expect to give him the check, the job's done, the water's flowing, and he goes home. I don't expect him to hang around to have dinner with the family and then say, what, what's going on later tonight? What are you guys doing? No, when the job's done, he goes home. But Jesus stayed. Why did Jesus stay after the job was done? I believe it was because he knew that this resurrection was the cornerstone of of the Christian faith. And he wanted to establish in the hearts of those that were there, those that would follow him, infallible proofs of his resurrection. You've heard the story before of doubting Thomas. Thomas said when the others told him the report that Jesus had risen from the grave, he said, I I refuse to believe it. I won't believe it until I see for myself, hear his voice for myself, and put my fingers into the nail prints in his hand thrust my hand into his side he was called doubting Thomas because he didn't just accept what they had to say he was suspicious of their words he wanted to have it confirmed to him a lot of times we think that Thomas has a problem that he had a bad heart no he was just kind of a little bit jaded and wanted some proof for himself so Jesus showed himself to Thomas said put your fingers in the nail print." put your fist into the side. You know why Jesus stayed around to make sure he took care of people like Thomas's doubts? The reason was Thomas was one of those that was going to take the gospel farther than any other of the apostles uh, all the way into the continent of India. And there he would be run through with a sword and offer his life as a sacrifice uh, for the cause of Christ. Uh, you see, Thomas uh, was going to do great things for God but he needed infallible proof of the resurrection and able to go forward and do what God had called him to do. See, the greatest proof of the story and the message of Jesus is the martyrdom of the New Testament church. The fact that men and women suffered death, refusing to recant that Jesus was alive. Refusing to step back and say, you know, we just made this whole thing up, some people took his body from the tomb, and then we agreed together to foist this whole idea of a resurrection on the world to perpetuate the message of this man named Jesus. See, even the harshest of skeptics agree that people will not face the possibility of having their body torn apart by a lion if they're standing up for a lie. They won't face being run through with the sword or filleted alive or sawn in half. They won't submit to being crucified upside down if what they are contending for is a fabric of their imagination or something that they put together to try to confuse the world into believing that there was a resurrection. Even the harshest of critics will have to agree that people don't die for a lie. People won't sacrifice their lives for a half And so 2,000 years later, today, a man who lived only into his early 30s is being celebrated because he died on a cross and he rose again on the third day. Think about it. 2,000 years later, you and I are here today. Some of you got out of bed a little earlier than you normally would have. You even brushed your teeth this morning and put on your Sunday's best. You made your way to the house of the Lord. I saw some of you going just to make sure you brushed made your way to the house of the Lord, and here you are today celebrating a man who 2,000 years ago rose from the grave, and we celebrate today what Jesus did for us, and it all started with the resurrection, or did it? it didn't start with the resurrection. See, we rejoice today at the resurrection story of Jesus Christ but there could have been no glorious Sunday morning of victory and conquering without a cross. There could not have been a great celebratory Sunday that reverberated from Jerusalem and beyond had it not been for the hideous, extreme torture that Jesus experienced, the unimaginable suffering that Jesus went through when he died on the cross. Jesus endured what you and I could not even imagine because he knew that there was going to be a benefit to his sacrifice that would outweigh the degree of sorrow and suffering and pain that would be invested in the sacrifice. Jesus knew something. He knew That without a cross, there would not be a church. Jesus knew that without a whip being applied to his back, he would have no bride. Jesus understood, the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, that he could see prophetically that he could see in his foreknowledge and the joy of the relationship that he would enjoy with you and I he knew that that wouldn't happen unless he experienced the pain of the piercing nails, he knew that there would be no hope for you and no hope for me unless he was rejected by his friends and his back their back were turned on him in his time of sorrow, he knew that you and I would have no hope of being released from the sorrow of our sin unless he Endured the shame of nakedness on the cross. He endured the shame. He endured the pain because of the joy that was set before him. He knew that there was value to the sacrifice. He knew that it was worthwhile. See, there's one interesting thing that uh, I think many people miss because the message of Christianity has been watered down so to where people have an idea of following Jesus Christ that is so far removed from what I see Jesus teaching and preaching before he left and then his disciples and apostles preaching after he left a lot of people like to be real selective with the words of Jesus you ever noticed that before Jesus was a man of love Jesus was a man of mercy Jesus was a compassionate and long suffering savior Everybody say amen. But Jesus is also the one that understood that if someone was going to be a true disciple, follower of Jesus Christ, they would have to experience the suffering together with him. You see, Jesus had an approach that he drew his disciples to him because we've studied here at Life Church before that Jesus' purpose in coming to the earth, obviously, he came to deliver us from our sins. He came to set us free from the enemy, but he also came to form 12 disciples that became 11 and out of due season, the apostle Paul, these disciples that Jesus made, these followers of him after Jesus left, were going to turn the world upside down. So Jesus made 12 disciples and told his disciples and you and I to go and make followers or disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus came here to do was to make disciples. Uh, Hallelujah. But when Jesus talks about being a disciple or a follower of him, it's not like you just say, okay, I believe the message of Jesus. I'm going to call myself a Christian now. But what Jesus said to his disciples, he said, come and follow me. But before he said, follow me, he said, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus' approach at making disciples was very interesting. He started out with these words, Come and see. Everybody say, Come and see. Come and see. That's the beginning of Jesus' ministry, John chapter one and verse thirty seven. The beginning introductions were, and the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? He said unto them, Come and and see so there is an entry level of following jesus and that entry level is just come and see come observe come take a look come just check it out if you would that's what jesus was saying to these men but there was a big difference between what jesus said at the beginning of his introductions to those people and what he said a little bit later Toward the end of his three years with him in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. When Jesus said unto his disciples. If any man will come after me. Let him deny himself. And take up his cross. And follow me. For whosoever will save his life. Shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life. For my sake. Will find it. Jesus said. I want you to come and see. But at the end of his ministry, what he finally got to is come and die with me. Wow, nobody's shouting right now, are they? Amen. We we can shout it if you guys want to. The devil thought he had him trapped. The devil had him down for three days. The devil's having a party in hell. The devil thought he had the church defeated. The devil thought he threw down the Savior. But little did he know that something was happening in the deep realms of hell as Jesus showed up and said, give me the keys. Give me authority and dominion over it all. And he came out with authority and dominion over the grave, and we can celebrate what Jesus did. What about you and me? What are we supposed to do with that? Just feel good and have goosebumps and tingles? (laughs) Jesus said, if any man will follow me, let him come, deny himself, Take up his cross and follow after me. Follow after me. See, the Bible says the seed of the word falls on different types of ground. Good soil, wayside soil, rocky soil, thorny soil. Anybody remember Jesus telling that story? He he talked about the thorny soil. He said the thorny soil is where the seed drops in, the word of God. It springs forth with great joy. It begins to spring forth. But because there's competition in the soil with thorns, it's choked out and it no longer lives. See, sometimes we as Christians just assume that we are good soil and we never consider that we might very well have some thorns and thistles growing in our life that's choking the life out of our commitment and our desire to follow after and a desire to be a follower of Jesus Christ what are thorns Jesus told a little bit later These are the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world that can choke out our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the people that followed Jesus were people that decided it doesn't matter what kind of persecution I experience, it doesn't matter what people think of me, it doesn't matter if I'm mistreated, it doesn't matter if my friends turn their back on me, it doesn't matter if I lose jobs because of this, it doesn't matter if I lose prestige in the community because of this. I have decided to follow Jesus. i counted the cost. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to take up my cross, and I'm going to follow after Jesus. You know why people would do that? The same reason Jesus allowed himself to be crucified is because he knew. Everybody say he knew. He knew that there was a joy that was set before him. There was a benefit of his sacrifice that was worth laying down his life for it. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, the apostle Paul says this way, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I'm, I'm living still. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Somewhere along the way, when you consider what Jesus did for you, when you didn't deserve it, what he did for the world, when the world didn't deserve it, something inside of you says, I want to be a part of that kind of passion. I want to be a part of that kind of commitment to the world. I want to, be a, I want to have the heart of Jesus inside of me, so that I'm not just worried about my stuff, and I'm not just worried about what people think about me, and I'm not just worried about how much I can make, and how much I can accomplish, and what people think about me, but give me the heart of jesus who made himself of no reputation allowed himself to be broken allowed himself to be shamed because he realized there was benefit 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 to the sacrifice you see jesus knew he was going to be crucified matthew chapter 26 he prophesied before the fact that he was going to be crucified Crucifixion was the most brutal way to die in those days. Roman soldiers experimented until they came up with the most brutal and painful way to drive nails in the wrists in the feet of a person, to suspend them on a, on a tree with a crossbar and to cause them to hang until one of two things happened, either their lungs filled with fluid And they suffocated literally as they sought to lift themselves up down to breathe. Or they had a massive coronary heart attack on the cross. And this was a thing that they did. See, the problem is none of us have actually seen a crucifixion unless it was shown on a movie like that. Replayed or reenacted on a movie. But the people during those days, many of them had seen crucifixions. No doubt Jesus had probably seen crucifixion can you imagine him walking by and watching someone suffering on the cross realizing, knowing that he was going to be crucified the bible says that jesus was betrayed by a close friend someone who he had, he had befriended and taught for three years he was betrayed by this person but he was willing to be betrayed because he knew there was benefit to the sacrifice he The problem is we have gotten this concept of following Jesus and being a Christian that's so candy-coated. Are you guys with me? It's so much a misrepresentation of what being a part of what Jesus has called us to do in following him. That whenever hardship comes, whenever we experience a little bit of suffering, Whenever we experience a little bit of pain or rejection because of our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, all of a sudden we get shocked and surprised, and we're like, what's this about? I thought when I fell in love with Jesus, I was supposed to be living my best life now. I thought I was supposed to have prosperity. I thought everybody was supposed to think I was the greatest thing on the planet. I thought I was going to be God's gift to the world. I thought I was going to rest back on a pillow made out of rose petals and a bed of rose petals and float into glory. What is this all about? The apostle Paul said, I want to know Jesus, but I want to really know him so that I can experience the power of resurrection, I understand that you don't get resurrection without suffering, that you don't get resurrection without relating to Jesus Christ at the cross. And some of us, when the suffering comes, we're like, what in the world is this all about? Uh Uh-huh, right. When our friends turn their back on us, when someone we trusted mistreats us, when someone we had confidence in does something wrong to us, all of a sudden we decide maybe this is not what it's all cut out to be. Hallelujah. But I want you to understand. I want you to get a hold of today that there is benefit to the suffering. That there is benefit to the sacrifice. When you gave your life to Jesus, you really gave your life to him. Yeah, there are blessings. Yeah, it's a great life living for the Lord. But think it not strange when the trials come your way. Think it not strange when you face difficulty. Understand. Stand that I can't experience resurrection without some suffering. Without laying down my life, Jesus was arrested. When he was arrested, all of his disciples ran away from him, leaving him to face judgment alone. Anybody ever felt all alone? Anybody ever felt, hey, I didn't think Christianity was supposed to be this way. There's my brothers and sisters that are anointed by the Spirit to give me a word of encouragement that hour. I heard a testimony about somebody else. They are going through a rough time. The phone rang. Brother, I was just thinking about you, just praying about you. Thank God for those times. But there are times when, like Jesus, you suffer alone. There, Come on, somebody. I want you to realize that you haven't walked off the pathway because you're going through suffering. You may be right where God wants you to be. Because like the Apostle Paul, you said, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to really know you. I want to be intimate with you. I want to have a relationship with you that I can experience your resurrection. But I want to first be made conformable unto your death. I've got to be made conformable unto your suffering. Apostle Paul understood this. Modern Christianity missed the whole point. The whole point is if I'm going to have the value of a resurrection, I've got to say, Jesus. I want to be made conformable or reshaped to the suffering that you've experienced. I want to have a heart that says, my life is not my own anymore. I'm turning it over to Jesus Christ. I'm putting it in your hands. Hallelujah. And if people turn their back on me, if I have to face it on my own sometimes, that's not an excuse for me to turn and walk away. It's just Jesus taking me through a process that he went through so that I could experience eternal life and Resurrection. Hallelujah. Sometimes I'm by myself. Sometimes you're gonna feel like no one's with you. Sometimes you feel like you're fighting the battle on your own. You're being made conformable. Jesus was brought into a crowded room. People were screaming out as the Roman governor said, Hey, I'll release to you a prisoner. As is the custom at your feast time, I release a prisoner from a Roman prison unto you. And I will release unto you either this man who's been brought before me. Pilate understood that Jesus had done no wrong. He understood that it was just religious leaders that were jealous of him. Pilate said, I'll either release to you Jesus or I will release Barabbas. Barabbas was a terrorist. He was a tennis shoe bomber, if you would. He was someone who sought to bring about political revolution by uh, assault and mayhem. Some even believe he was a murderer. He was a terrorist. I will either release Jesus, this one who you've heard of his miracles and his healing, the lives that he's impacted, or I'll release Barabbas. Jesus is standing there, the Son of God, God in flesh, but also a human being like you and I. And he heard the people begin to scream out. Let him be tortured. Let him die a painful, heinous, shameful death. The crowd screamed, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus experienced people turning against him. He experienced the crowd turning against him. Sometimes when we go through things in our lives, we want to resist them. We get angry and we get upset. And we decide oftentimes all too often, People decide, you know what, this isn't fun anymore. I'm not enjoying this anymore. Living for God used to be a blast when we was having, oh, yeah, bread and fish. when We were experiencing the miracles and the healings, but right now, ouch, this isn't fun. Who told you that there wouldn't be days like this? Come on, somebody, what's the old song, Mama told you there'd be days like this? Jesus told you there'd be days like this. You want to be conformable unto his death? But the deal is you've got to do like Jesus, and you've got to keep your eyes on the prize and realize, you know what? There's eternal life waiting for me. If I give my life up for Jesus Christ, the Bible says I'm going to gain eternal life. If I say, uh-uh, you ain't going to mess with me. This is my life. I'm going to do it my way. When the trouble comes, when the persecution comes, when the hurt comes, when the rejection comes, when the pain comes, and we say, no, this doesn't make any sense to me, and we turn our back and turn away, we will save our life, but we'll lose eternal life. Jesus was saying, there's got to be a releasing. There's got to be a letting go. You've got to realize it's not always peaches and Cream and, and joy and pleasure and peace but there are tough times there are difficulties but thank my lord jesus christ that there are times of refreshing that there are times of renewal that there are times of rejoicing that all the sum of living for god i can say i'd rather live for god than live for the enemy even if there were no heaven and hell but don't be surprised the apostle paul said think it not strange when the fiery trial comes Think it not strange when you're not being treated well. Think it not strange. When you tried and you hadn't gotten a job yet Think it not strange When you got stress and turmoil in your marriage Think it not strange When you raise your kids in church And they look like they're turning their back on Jesus And it cuts you to the heart Think it not strange Sometimes you got to go through some things To be made conformable to the death of Jesus Christ Because if I don't go through it Then I can't in any way The apostle Paul said Let me be made conformable to your death So by any means possible I might be a partaker in your resurrection see I want eternal life I want Jesus will done in my life I want him to use me for his purpose come on praise Jesus with me right now Jesus is stripped humiliated for a large gathering of soldiers there he had the crown of thorns pressed onto his head. There he was struck with a stick, smacked in the face, punched in the face by these cruel soldiers who would mock him and say, Come on, prophet. Tell me who punched you. Come on, you're a prophet. Pow. Tell me who hit you on the head that time. And then they gathered up one by one, cleared their throat, spat upon his face and tell him, Covered with the spittle and mucus of these soldiers. Jesus experienced humiliation. Jesus experienced shame. Jesus experienced being stripped naked in front of the crowd, humiliated there that day. And we get so upset, we're a little bit embarrassed. If something happens that's embarrassing to us. Understand that there are things that will happen that are embarrassing to you got to keep on living for God. Understand you're being made conformable unto His death. Hallelujah. Because there's a greater resurrection that's coming. There's a greater prize. There's a greater value that's waiting for me. There's something better that's coming. And everything that Jesus endured as He was beaten on His back, as He was laid on the cross, nailed to the cross, and there at the foot of the cross the pool a pool of his precious blood was formed it was all about a sacrifice because he knew That if he did not die on the cross and suffer that rejection and be intimidated or or made to to, uh, uh, feel shamed in front of all of those people, if he had not experienced that, uh, there would be no church at 380 South Rosemead today. There would be no people throughout all the world that have decided that they love Jesus so much that they're going to abandon brother and sister and mother and father and career and pursuit and everything and follow after Jesus. Jesus understood that there would be no bride of people who had fallen head over heels in love with him until he went through the brutality and the pain and the suffering and the separation of the cross. And I want to tell you today that when you go through the tough times, when you go through the trial, when you go through the difficulty, when you face the suffering and you say, I know what he's feeling like, guess what? You'll never get as bad as Jesus went through. It'll never get as bad as what Jesus went through. Can I hear an amen? You'll never feel the pain or the rejection that Jesus went through. You'll never experience the suffering or or, or the shame that Jesus went through. But whatever pain or shame or suffering or separation, you do have to experience. uh, Just go through it and understand I'm being conformed to the image of his death. I'm being made conformable to his suffering so that I can experience, uh, hallelujah, the beauty a beauty, a beauty, of his resurrection. Second Corinthians chapter four and seventeen. As I wrap this up, the apostle Paul said, "For our light affliction, our light affliction—that's what the apostle Paul calls it—our light affliction, which is but for a moment." You know who the one is saying that is saying light affliction? He was beaten be many times. He was stoned and left for dead. The Apostle Paul, anybody with me? He spent years in prison, the best years of his life. He just writing letters to churches. He says, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not on the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We understand that the affliction that we do have to face, that the suffering that, this is weird, isn't it? This is different. You guys are so used to hearing some polished, uh, sweet, smooth, candy-coated stuff coming out in the name of Christianity, but somebody's standing before you and telling you the truth. This is what the Bible said. The Apostle Paul says the Apostle Paul said you're going to go through some affliction, but your light affliction can't even, even come close to measuring up to the eternal and exceeding weight of glory. Hallelujah. There's a lot more glory that's coming. You'll get double for your trouble. Hallelujah. For your pain, for your hurt, for your suffering. There's a blessing, an eternal weight of blessing that's coming. Does anybody believe the word of God when God said to you, whatever you have to go through, whatever you have to suffer the pain that you go through, it's light affliction in comparison to an eternal weight of glory that God has for you. I don't know about you, but there's something in my heart that says, Jesus, I'm ready to sell out. I'm ready to be 100%. I want to be like you. I want to lay it all out. Hallelujah. I want to lay it all out. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 13, Matthew 13, Jesus told a story about a man who found out that there was a treasure hidden in a field. It was hidden, not visible to everyone else. The Bible says when he saw the treasure in the field, hidden in the field, he says, for the joy thereof, he went and sold all that he had and purchased the field. You remember that story? Sold everything. He didn't do it begrudgingly. He didn't do it like, oh, man, I love all this stuff. This is the hardest day of my life. Oh man, I'm having to get rid of all this precious heirloom. It means so much to me. Oh, I hate to part with this. The Bible says he joyfully sold out because he knew about a treasure that nobody else knew about. (laughs) He knew about a value, a something in a field that was more valuable. I I just imagine it this way. What if you had like your normal little house, your little eight hundred square foot home that you purchased and you had your stuff in there, your clothes, you had your golf clubs, you had your Baseball card uh, uh, collection—you had all this stuff in there, all your little precious stuff. But you found out that there was a field for sale for four hundred thousand dollars. And it was empty; it didn't have no house on it. it just looked barren. Nobody wanted it. But you found out that there was a geologist report that there was an extremely rich oil field under that field. Uh-huh. An oil field that could pump out. Seven, eight, nine hundred thousand dollars a year that was limitless. What are you going to do? If you got a house that you can sell for about three hundred and twenty thousand dollars, all the stuff in your house, if you've added it up, all your nice stuff, all the furniture and all that, you could scrape together four hundred thousand dollars and buy that old field. What are you going to do? I don't know what you're going to do, but I know what I'm going to do. Amen. I'm gonna get my old nasty, my nastiest garment that nobody would want. I'm gonna wear that. And I'm gonna sell everything else, and I'm not gonna cry about it. I'm gonna do it with joy. Are you with me? Uh, because everybody else says, "Man, you're stupid. What are you doing? You got that house almost paid for. You're selling it. all your stuff. You're selling to buy that." Doesn't make sense. The Bible says what the kingdom of God is like. People on the outside say, Why did you sell out to that? Why did you invest your one hundred percent of your life in something like that? That doesn't make sense. There's a whole lot more things you can use your talent for and your energy, your treasure. It just doesn't make sense. Somewhere along the way, the person realized that there is exceeding great reward in that field, and it's worth whatever I have to pay, whatever I have to suffer, whatever I have to release in order to enjoy the great treasure, the great treasure that's in the field. So I'm selling everything. I'm having a party. I'm selling my my family heirlooms, all the silver my great grandma gave that she used to eat off of. I'm selling it and I'm like, will you take it? I'll give it to you for $1,800 and they take it and I'm like, whoa, $1,800 more bucks closer to buying that treasure in the field. And then I take that money and with joy I purchased that treasure that has an exceeding great reward in it. And this is what the kingdom of God is about. There is a benefit to the sacrifice. There is a benefit to the commitment. There is a benefit of a life that's laid on the line, you're going to see part of it in this world. The Bible says, in this world and in the world to come, an exceeding great reward. And I want to tell you today, as Jesus experienced the excruciating pain, blood flowing from his the body, there's a treasure, there's something of great value. The Bible says that you and I are his inheritance, that's what he earned at the cross. That's how much he loves you. Is that amazing or what? He said when he went through the cross, uh, he endured the shame. He despised the shame, but he endured it because he wanted to have a relationship so much with you. He wanted to have a connection. He wanted you to take his heartbeat. He wanted you to take hold of what he loved. He wanted you to become part of what he had started. That was his inheritance. And the church today that has decided the cross before me, the world behind me, I won't turn back. I won't turn back. Hallelujah. I've made up my mind. I love Jesus. I love his cause. I love his purpose. Yeah, from time to time, the glitter of this world pulls on me. From time to time, the attractions of this world pulls on me. From time to time, the things, the competition of this world tries to choke out my spiritual life. But I made up my mind. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. That's what Jesus said on the cross. It's worth it. It's worth it. it. Let's stand and praise the Lord together right now. Come on, help me praise Jesus. Jesus, you're worthy of praise, Lord God. Jesus, you're worthy of praise, Lord God. Hallelujah, Jesus, you're worthy of praise. Don't lift up your hands and praise him right now. I feel his presence in this place, and I feel like he wants to minister to someone today. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus praise God praise God praise God hallelujah Lord hallelujah we rejoice today because of the resurrection thank God that he rose from the grave and conquered the tomb this cornerstone of our faith but today we want to understand also that there would be no resurrection morning without the suffering that Jesus endured hallelujah thank you Jesus that you gave everything so that I don't have to endure that physical suffering You died as a sacrifice, Lord, as a substitute for me. And I thank you, Jesus. I praise you. Why don't you just share your love with him right now for what he's given for you, for what he did to make new life in Jesus Christ possible. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Listen carefully. Open up this altar just a moment to give people an opportunity to express their love to Jesus and express their gratitude. Real quickly, I want to share something with you. Jesus told his disciples, and that recommendation rings true today, that we are to take the good news to the world. The good news is. The Bible tells us what it is, that Jesus died on the cross for sins, that he was buried in a tomb, and that he rose again three days later and was seen by many witnesses. That's the good news. Everybody understand the good news? Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. But the gospel message is not just an awesome story like you can say, wow, that was a cool movie if you watch a good movie. Or you read a great book. What a powerful story. That was awesome. But know the gospel message is something that is meant to be applied to our lives. Did you guys know that? The message of Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection, is not simply a good story. But it's a story with an application. And the first church service in the New Testament church, after Jesus ascended, he said, go wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit power from on high, the comforter. Jesus said, I'm leaving you now, but I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to come back to you the form of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And when Peter told the message about the crucifixion in Jesus to the crowd that was gathered that day, the very first sermon preached in the New Testament church, they were moved with conviction. They were cut to their heart. That's what true preaching does. True preaching doesn't make you feel good about yourself. It cuts you to the heart. guys with me? New Testament preaching is the kind of preaching that says, "Eh, I realize now uh, something needs to change. This is not about me feeling better about myself and us patting each other on the back, but uh, they were cut to their heart, and they said, what should we do? And the gospel message was applied in this way. Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a promise, scriptural promise. And what many people miss is that when Jesus died and was buried, and rose again he was showing us exactly what we have to do at repentance we die at water baptism the Bible says we are buried with him and when we receive the Holy Spirit it is the supernatural element where we are filled with God's glorious spirit and we're given his power to resurrect on resurrection morning so the baptism of the Holy Spirit is glorious. Living a life of victory is glorious, but guess where it starts? It starts at repentance. Guess what true repentance is? True repentance is where you lose your life. Oh, but I thought repentance was when you said, Lord, I accept you as my personal Savior. Come into my life. Lead me and guide me. In your name, amen. So that's maybe a part of repentance. True repentance is when there is death, crucifixion with Jesus Christ, where you say, I've been in charge of this life. I've been in control of this life for however many years you live in, 23 years, 46 years. I've seen people repent of their sins in their 80s, And they say, Jesus, I've been living for John. I'm John, I've been living for John. I've been living for Tam, Tammy my whole life. I'm 83 and I'm Elmer and I've been living for Elmer my whole life. But Jesus, I don't want to be in control anymore. I want to lose my life. I want to give it up. I want to release it into your hands. And true repentance is when we say I'm not in control anymore. This is not my life anymore. I'm crucified with Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean I die and stop breathing. It says I'm still alive. But it's not me that lives anymore, but it's Christ living through me. This is true repentance. This is giving our life to Jesus Christ. And when you truly give your life to him, everything changes. Everything changes. And this is where it starts. But you'll never count the cost and bow a knee and give your life to Jesus until you realize there's a benefit to the sacrifice. Before we leave on this Easter, I'm going to ask Sister Brown to sing a song. As she sings, I want to open up this altar area. The ushers are going to help us push a few of these rows back. So as a church family and friends and visitors, we can gather together for a few moments to rededicate our lives to the Lord Jesus, to commit ourselves to his purpose, to let a desire for him be birthed in our hearts. In the name of Jesus. Messages or sermons that I preached as I became pastor seven years ago of Life Church. The Holy Spirit prompted me to preach a sermon
1: about a line in the sand
0: where Jim Bowie, I believe it was, the Alamo drew a line in the sand. Said, You guys can leave now if you want. Here's a line in the sand that you can cross it, cross over and say, I'm gonna. Put my life in this thing. Put my heart in this thing. It's one thing that I've learned in life, just through observation, is that the true rewards in life come through total commitment. Partial commitment rarely yields a fullness of reward. Partial commitment usually yields, yields frustration. You guys, with me? I know what I'm. Partial commitment leads to frustration. You know what? If you if you want an example of this, look at pretty much any Hollywood marriage that you want to look at, and you see examples of partial commitment, which means I'm with you as long as it's fun, as long as it makes me feel good, and as long as you stay pretty I'm with you. It never yields the greatest treasure, greatest fulfillment. What yields greatest fulfillment? is when you totally commit, when you cross the line and say, I'm in. I'm all in. It's what Jesus was doing when he died on the cross. He was saying, these are all the chips that I have. I'm all in. There's nothing left. I'm all in. When you make that type of a life commitment to the kingdom of God, you begin to see the benefits from it. You begin to see the fulfillment and the joy and the peace, the life fulfillment. When you say, I'm all in talking to some of you today that have considered that with your family talking to some maybe that made that commitment and pulled back from it but I want you to know today that there is great fulfillment in that level of commitment if you've been dating the idea of serving God but you haven't made that commitment yet and gone all in I want to encourage you and let you know it's time to take that step of faith say Jesus you gave it all and my only response is this is my life I'm giving you all of it Given you every part of it. And I promise you, I promise you, I promise you that there's greater fulfillment in a life wholeheartedly committed to Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. I want to say a prayer of dismissal. If you want to continue to pray? You can. And I want you to have a fantastic day this day, Easter with your family and friends. But it is a sobering thing and it is a very real choice that each of us has to make. Is Jesus going to be our whole life? Amen. And Jesus is my whole life. Sometimes I don't act like it. But today I want to recommit and reaffirm Jesus. I'm all in. (laughs) I'm all in. My family's all in. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I didn't say we're going to go to church. I didn't say we're just going to be a part of the body of Christ. I said we will serve the Lord, me and my house. Jesus, I thank you for this body of believers that's come here today to celebrate together about the resurrection. That you're alive, alive forevermore, Jesus. You come to bring peace, Lord Jesus. You come to heal us and put us back together again, and I thank you for that. Thank you for this body of believers, the family of God, who weighed the options and made a decision. They decided to follow you, Lord God. Hallelujah. We've decided to follow after you, Jesus, the cross before us, the world behind us. And I thank you, Jesus, for the joy of the Lord. And I thank you for the joy that's set before us, Lord Jesus, for righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit and eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I thank you for it. I give you praise for it, Jesus. I lift my hands and my heart, Lord God, to honor you. Go with each family. Protect them, Lord God. Let the peace that passeth all understanding be upon them. Let them feel your love, Lord Jesus. The love that you showed very clearly on the cross. Let each of us know and understand how much you love us. In the name of Jesus. And every person said amen. 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 Hallelujah. If you want to say it with me right now before you leave, say these words. Jesus my life is yours from now to forever in Jesus name God bless you, you're dismissed in the name of the Lord (laughs)
1: Oh <laughs> you.